the chief complaint for Kansas City fans, the San Francisco slaughter and the most shocking division in the NFL. All that and more because it is time for Sunday Night Blitz. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You know the drill by now. He's Frank Schwab, Yahoo Sports NFL betting extraordinaire, expert, brilliant man. I'm Jason Fitz, and together, like Voltron, like the great 80s tag teams, we are Sunday Night Blitz. And Frank, we react to every single game. We will get to every single game, but I'm, I'm jacked up. I got all the feels because I just watched some of the worst officiating I can remember, and it happened in a Sunday night football game. As we start this taping, we have just watched the Packers take down the Chiefs. It was an incredible game, a lot to break down, but here's the real question. How are there so many refs that are so bad at their job at the highest possible level? Look, I always stick up for the refs. I do, because the job is incredibly hard. Look, me and you, we've both been on the sideline for games. Other people listening probably have. It's not something everybody's done. But if you have, you know, the game moves at the speed of light. I'm shocked that they get any calls right. And we saw way back during the replacement refs era, how bad it can get, right? Like we, we saw that officiating is, it's hard to do. That said, oh man, every week it's, it's, we're getting missed calls, bad calls. In the last two minutes alone tonight, there were just egregious missed calls. I, I mean, and it started with that really, really bad roughing the passer or whatever you want to call it, unnecessary roughness on Patrick Mahomes when he wasn't even out of bounds. He's trying to pick up extra yards. He's playing football still. Yes, he's near the sideline and he got hit really hard. That's not a flag. It is not a penalty to hit a quarterback hard anymore. Like that, that, that still is football, 15 yards there. Then you get kind of a, you know, a makeup call after that on this horrible defensive pass interference that was missed downfield. I mean, Clearly, they're ahead of time. I mean, <laughs> Terry McCauley on the NBC broadcast was he was a busy man in those final two minutes because then you had what I thought anyway, and the Packers entire sideline did. Rasheed Rice is going backwards and they still stopped the clock. The Packers sideline is going apoplectic. I'm like, what's going on here? The clock's supposed to keep running. They stopped the clock because you can't stop the clock when the ball carrier is going backwards, but that happened. And then the final play of the game, I don't know how you feel about that Hail Mary. There was clearly a shove. Uh, you can call it if you want. You're, you're very rarely going to get that call. I remember the Buccaneers getting one on Gronk uh, in 2020 against Vikings at the end of the first half. That's the last time I've seen it. But, uh, I mean, what do you do when the officiating is this bad, Fitz? Like, I mean, there's four calls I just called out right now in the final two minutes of a Sunday night game. Sunday night is a key part of this because it's a national audience that everybody's mm -hmm. paying attention to it, right? And here's the thing. The NFL fixes the problems they want to fix and they fix them quickly. When there's a real issue, they come together and they say, hey, we're going to change this. My thing is, why have they not just figured out an eye in the sky? Like, it, to me, if there's anything we learned from the XFL process is that review can happen quickly. And yes, you'd have to have some really well-trained people that could look at things. Maybe they don't do it throughout the entirety of the game. But you can't tell me in modern technology that there isn't a way to have somebody up in the booth that buzzes down after a call like that out of bounds or 
or the the roughing the passer call particularly or the missed pass interference, there's got to be a way to buzz the hip and say, hey, we're reversing the call. I mean, at some point, we have to let technology find a way to help fix an issue that's fixable. If I see it's wrong, if Terry McCauley sees it wrong, if everybody watching the game sees it wrong, then you've got to have some sort of a fail. So this isn't the 80s where we just have to accept these things. We have to be better, which means we have to demand better, which means the league needs to put technology in place that allows better. Well, you know what the problem is, and I'm calling everybody out when they had the one year where we had pass interference was reviewable. Remember that? Everybody complained, oh, we can't get this right. We got to get rid of this. We can't. That's why we can't do that, Fitz, because they couldn't have reviewed that play on MVS when he got clearly interfered with. Because you, the person listening here who complained about all those pass interference reviews that one season, you're the reason it's gone. I've always been for the Belichick model. And for people who are unfamiliar, it's very simple. You can review anything. Bill Belichick has always said, this is the way it should be. You can throw your red flag three times during the game. It's people, oh, the game's going to be six hours. You don't get any more challenges. But when you throw that review flag, you can say, look for holding on the left tackle. I saw it. That opens up a can of worms, and I get that. But right now, the way it's set up, they they couldn't even, they could not have reviewed the the late hit out of bounds, which wasn't even out of bounds. They couldn't have reviewed either pass interferences. Maybe I guess they could have reviewed the Rasheed Rice play that, that I'm up in arms about and probably need to see again. But a lot of this is that only certain things are reviewable and they're judgment calls. And it really does look, it's hard for the rest because that MVS play, I didn't think it was obvious when it happened in real time. I'll be really honest with you. I thought maybe it was there on time. You watch the replay and it's obvious. Well, referees don't have vision that that slows things down to slow-mo, you know? So they got to make these calls in, in real time. It's very difficult. But we, because we complained so much about it, took away the ability of the rest of review things like pass interference. It's a really smart point by you because there's a bit of a boy who cried wolf aspect to officiating now. And I, I think the problem is it just continues to go down and down and down to every layer, right? Like uh, every time I open social media, uh, I see, well, there's a bias against this team or that team. Every time I, I look on <laughs> right, Saturdays, it's, it's like a uh, big 12 refs. We're rooting for like, it goes yeah, all the yeah, way down. So we have this conspiracy theory against every officiating call. And what that leads to is I don't think anybody's going to want to be a ref anymore. And at some point, you know, you mentioned standing on the side, I did one of those spring game officiating seminars at one point, and it's wildly difficult. Like I, I am the first to acquiesce. So the problem is, if we about everything, then when we have an actual real complaint, it doesn't get heard the same way. So I think you're right. And part of it, we've got to start responding to these things as a society differently. We've got to stop, you know, putting it, everything on the officials. But then we still have to be able to call them out when the calls are egregious. And I'll still maintain having somebody in the booth that is just there to be like, nope, that's clearly the wrong call. Like, yeah, they, yeah, it, yeah, I get what you're saying. But I agree. I, I think it's, uh, it's a smart point by you. Look at us complimenting each other tonight. Like we're all in a good, good mood. We well, have great points. We have great. Well, I'm sure we'll have great points. We won't have one disagreement the whole show. Look, it's a it's a bye week for me. I'm in a happy space. There's nothing <laughs> that can stop that. All right, let's get can to we, the can we talk about game. this game. Yes, can we talk about this game because I'm excited to talk about Jordan Love, which is nothing I thought I was going to tell you a month ago, Fitz, because I was out on Jordan Love. You can go back. I'm sure Stone can pull up some clips of me saying this guy ain't the guy. He stinks. He's done. Can you remember a quarterback who is gone in a month? From basically everybody was out on him. I, you, anybody can be a revisionist historian today. That's fine. I want to see what you said a month ago about Jordan Love. It probably wasn't good, okay? But and I'm I, I'm I'll cop to it. I was out. I, they were two and five, and this was a bad Packers team. And Jordan Love was awful. You saw him against your Raiders. He was bad in that game. Can you remember a quarterback in a month basically going from this guy is not going to be a starter in the NFL to oh my goodness, do so the Packers have another top? 12 quarterback? I think I know while I was watching the game, I was thinking of our conversations because you're right. After that Raiders game week, particularly, it was like, yeah, he's not him. Like to use right, the vernacular right. of the kids, he's not him. Right. But I was <laughs> watching not go I thought, to Timothy University. Yeah, no, yeah. No, did, not, did not believe that. <laughs> so then I'm looking at it and I thought there were there were two things that stood out to me watching. I gotta go back and rewatch it. But in the moment, the two things that stood out to me was how aggressive he was with the ball and how well placed it was in that process. Like it, there's a difference between I'm checking down and I'm doing it accurate. Oh, ooh, yay, I hit the right shoulder and I kept the guy away from the defender. Fine. We're talking about body moving one way throw going the other way, tight windows, and aggressive down the field. Like, he's got that swagger about him right now. There's a confidence to the way he's playing. And you're right. I 
looked at it and I thought, my God, like a month ago, I thought, well, the Packers better suck so they can get a quarterback. And now I'm looking at it saying, man, this is a young football team that is suddenly kudos to the coaching staff because the development of this team has been really staggering to look at. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. And the play that I highlighted in my game story that I posted on Yahoo was it's fourth and one in the third quarter. They're in plus territory, so they're going to go for it, no matter what Chris Collinsworth says about what a gamble it is. No, no, it's a great call. But I will say, a month ago, maybe Matt LaFleur doesn't go for it, right? Maybe he's like, eh, this offense. But he goes for it, right call. And the, the Chiefs blow it up. The Whatever play the Packers had called, they blow it up. So Love is just kind of backpedaling and throws one off of his back foot and throws it 27 yards off, I think, or 33 yards out, 30 yards outfield. And it just drops right in a bucket for Romeo Dobbs. And you're like, that, 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 he would not make that play a month ago. He wouldn't even try to make that play a month ago. Like, I remember, you know, he's trying to throw the ball deep to Christian Watson in the end zone against the Raiders, and it's so short, it's just picked off. You're like, what are you doing? The guy tonight makes that throw to Romeo Dobbs for an absolutely huge first down in that game. There really was a turning point in the game. They're just different. I, I'll say this. Uh, allow me to, you know, if I could war, I didn't get a chance to warm up, but I am going to take a nice little victory lap here because all offseason, what did I talk about? If you heard me talk at all about what teams I like coming in season, I said a Green Bay Packers. Man, I was like two of five. I was like, how could I have been so wrong about the Packers? But as I joked on whatever they're calling Twitter these days, did, does Vegas accept torn up betting tickets? Because I got a ton of them <laughs> that say Packers, yes, playoffs. I got a ton of them. They're sitting around here somewhere in, in scraps. I'm going to have to tape them together or something because the Packers are going to the playoffs. Look, If you look at their schedule, and I know NBC showed it, their last five games, I, five and zero is not out of the question. I mean, it's just, just because the schedule lines up that way. They do not play a team with a winning record the rest of the season. Toughest game is against the Vikings, and I believe that's a, that's actually in, in Minnesota. So it's not an easy game. Four and one, five and zero, oh, clearly on the table for the Packers at this point. It's not even just that they're winning games; it's that they're good. They you look know, good. That's, like that's, that's, uh, this is two teams: Fitz, the Broncos and the Raiders. I, I know the Broncos lost today, but or the I'm sorry, the Broncos and the Packers, who are like. Terror, just a terrible football team. Nothing alike about them. No signs of life. And then you look up at a couple weeks, you're like, oh, oh, that team just did a 180 out of the blue. Like, what? I, I, it's this crazy NFL season. Absolutely look, insane. If, if I, uh, like, right now, I feel like if I could order a pie and send it to LaFleur's house, although pie's trash, I would walk up to LaFleur and I would send him the, the pie and be like, hey, man, I, I owe you this because I, I think there was a real conversation and a fair one to be had about what it's like to be a head coach when you don't have an MVP caliber quarterback. And early on, this didn't look particularly good. What you see now is an offense that has young weapons like I, I in my mind I don't know why I feel like AJ Dillon's like 36 years old he's 25 but like, I, like, they're, they're, so, yeah. like it just it, you, the way he was pounding the ball moving his legs running with guys on him the way the receivers were finding the pockets in, against the zone defenses it was pretty to watch like this offense was genuinely fun to watch and the whole time I kept looking at it thinking for years we've heard well we don't have the weapons here for for you know uh, for Aaron Rodgers he doesn't have what he needs looking around I'm like Jordan Love has what he needs there just feels like a young core here that has exploded at the same time it's dynamic to watch the defense is opportunistic plays really well but this offense and the way they're playing right now it's just a different team it it is a different team today than they were and maybe a reminder to all of us that we got to be a little bit more patient when we're looking at what's (laughs) good and bad in the NFL what I don't even know what that word means come on yeah, well, we that's fair. can't do that we do a show every sunday are, night. are you are you are, oh, that's fair are where are we now on the chiefs though were the chiefs yeah, exposed because I, I was gonna ask you I, I mean i just think that this again shows the chiefs are beatable doesn't mean they can't win a super bowl they can get on a roll they got better bones maybe the most talented quarterback i've ever seen i'm not saying they can't win a super bowl but Unlike other years, you're like, yeah, they, they got to win four games in a row to win a Super Bowl if they're not the number one seed. I don't know that this team could do it. They're they're just very beatable. They're good. They're not great. But uh, there's really only one team that's great in the NFL this season, and we'll talk about what they did in Philly today. Yeah, I think, you know, Rasheed Rice continues to become a really great story uh, Isaiah Pacheco, although he got himself kicked out of this game and is going to have a hefty fine, uh, he that continues play, I, I to. Forgot. We didn't even mention that play. We had a guy kicked, a starting running back kicked out the last two minutes. We didn't even talk about it for throwing a punch. <laughs> like oh. I, again, quick reminder: if you're wearing a helmet and somebody else is wearing a helmet, don't throw a punch. Throw I, a I'm punch. just, but you know, I, I look at all of these things. But the other side of it is the defensive side of the ball. Guys are dropping like flies. They got to stay healthy, which is impossible mm-hmm. to do. Oh, yeah. That was an impact in this game. But I, I think you've said it really well, and I'll double 
double down on it. It's not that I like I'm not going to go out here and bet my house against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I'm not stupid, uh, but I do think they're vulnerable. I think they're gettable. And it's the first time in a long time that I've thought they're gettable. Now, you said we'll get to the best team in the NFL. That is clear. Like I'm yeah, making your no job easy. You do, you do the power rankings every week. Guess <laughs> what? You know what? You can take an extra cup of coffee this week. Number one, done. No conversation. San Francisco kicked the snot. Absolutely kicked the snot out of the Philadelphia Eagles, 42 to 19. They're clearly the best team in the NFL, right? Easy. I, I know the Eagles are a game up, but it was just a mismatch. And I was thinking, when have I, how many times this season have I really seen one team absolutely destroy another good team? And I thought, I've seen it three times. Saw the 49ers do it to the Cowboys. Saw the 49ers do it to the Seahawks on Thanksgiving when the Seahawks had like 19 yards at the half. And I'm watching it right now with the 49ers absolutely pummeling the Eagles. This 49 look, you can't just say, whoa, aside from the three-game uh, losing streak, because that, that happened too. You, you can't just remove a cherry pick. But I will do it anyway, Fitz. If you just take out that three-game losing streak, and none of those losses aged really poorly, right? Like, they missed a field goal at the end of the Browns game. Browns got great defense, whatever. Vikings are were a pretty good team, I guess, until last Monday night. And then the Bengals were pretty good when Burrow was healthy. So none of those losses are egregious, but their wins are just unbelievable i mean they they blasted the jaguars too i mean the 49ers best is so much better than the rest of the nfl if they didn't have this three-game losing streak i think we'd be talking about is this a historically good 49ers team i really do i mean what don't they bring to the table today i mean when you're looking at their offense brock purdy throws for 314 and three and four touchdowns i believe and everybody made plays this was kind of the 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 culmination of everything for this 49ers group we talk about, we always talk about, oh, it's a Debo game, and now it's a C-Mac game, and now it's a kid. Everybody made plays in this game. Everybody. All of the – even Jawan Johnson made a great play to get in the end zone. I'm I'm just thoroughly impressed with this 49ers team, and, and at this point, clearly they're the best team of football. And clearly they're going to be my pick to win a Super Bowl if we're now, making it today. Uh, uh, 100%. And, you know, if you look at Philadelphia, this was sort of – I, I want to give a little bit of context here. This is what their third game in 13 days. I think that matters or, you know, and, and if you're San Francisco, you're coming off a bye. You've had a little bit of rest. I, I've, I've seen all of this. I've heard all of this. We've heard all of this. I think those are factors, but I think the reason this resonates so much is that San Francisco took advantage of the things that we thought could be susceptible from this Philadelphia defense, right? Like we knew that the back seven on that defense was gettable. The question was, were you going to be able to hold off the pass rush from Philly, which isn't as good this year as it was last year either. Can you hold them off? Well, now what you saw is when you have a very smart, precise quarterback, and I, I think it's fair to, to, to label Purdy that way, and you've got weapons that can get open against anybody with a ton of speed. I mean, it, this was just this was an example of everything that San Francisco does well. This uh, highlighted everything we came into the game knowing Philly was weak at, and that's why I think it resonates to me. This isn't just one of those throw away the tape, never watch it again. This is one of those, oh, yeah, this is what a team built like this can do to a team that has these deficiencies, that's a statement. Absolutely. I mean, what made this game crazy, we're going to forget about this after time. After the first quarter, the Eagles had 124 yards. The 49ers had minus six. The, the Eagles dominated the first quarter, and they got blown out in this game. When you, when you dominate a quarter of football like that, and you still lose by 22 points, or 23 points, my, my math is just bad at this point. What do you even say? Like, if you're an Eagles and you get done with that game, you can't even really talk yourself into, yeah, if we played them tomorrow, it'd be different. This No, like, they're just a much, much better team. Now, by January, you're giving Sirianni a lot of time to adjust and you know, all that kind of stuff. But right now, as we looked at this game, if they played again, how on earth could you pick the Eagles over the 49ers? Like, it just looked like it just looked like two teams going in different directions, even though the Eagles were 10 and one coming into this game. And this changes the whole way the NFC is shaped right Correct. now because, mm -hmm. uh, as we've talked about before, I, if I'm San Francisco or Detroit, I don't want to have to go to Philly. I think that's a nightmare, right? Having to travel east, having to do that's all of these things. That's just because you got Big Dom on the sideline, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to Big Dom in a second. But, you know, if looking at the opposite side, the whole NFC of this looks different. And by the way, I know Jalen Hurts leaves with the concussion this game. You referenced, you know, Eagles fans thinking it could be. It's not Jalen Hurts' job to tackle Debo. Like Debo Samuel had plays that were right there in front of guys and guys couldn't make them. Like this was two incredible athletes head to head and one was clearly more athletic over and over and over again. And that's the sort of thing you don't just shake off if you're the Eagles. So I, I think there was a statement. Now, 
Dom, Big Tom. <laughs> this was crazy. If you, I've never seen something like that. That's what I can remember anyway. So, you know, for anyone that didn't see it, Greenlaw for the 49ers, uh, obviously it was a dirty hit. You know, he, he suplexes Smith. And uh, all of a sudden, a guy that the broadcast just keeps calling him Dom. They all know who he is. I'm texting everybody. I'm like, who the hell is this Dom guy? Why is the broadcast talking? They don't really tell you what he does. They're just like, oh, yeah, you know Dom. He's just part of the security team. He just takes care of it. Yeah. Okay. So Dom is obviously some sort of like fixer for the, I, I don't know, but he's security in some level for the Eagles. And he steps in between an interaction on the sideline, which obviously pissed off Greenlaw. Uh, Greenlaw, it looks from the, the video, look, looks like he kind of punches him in the face while he's pointing. I don't know if he was putting a gun thing in his, I, I don't know what he was doing from the hands, but it got Greenlaw ejected and Dom was kicked off the sideline. But I, I'm sitting here like, okay, if that's look Raiders, make me the head of security. Like if that's all right. we're gonna do, right. I'll go piss off somebody from the other team and Take get a objection. super. Like I'll get a star kicked off the other team. Great, let me go with Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. We'll both get kicked out, and my favorite team will win more. Like I, the, to me, it was wild to think that a player from the 49ers was kicked out for something that had nothing to do with another player, and it was absolutely inexcusable that somebody and and you missed me with the conversation. He's there for security. Security on the sidelines is there to keep people like me from interacting with right. players and fans from Greenlaw right. away from they, drawing at Devontae Smith. Yeah. When have any of us ever seen a brawl on the field where security guys came in and got in or, in the middle of it? They don't. It's, uh, it's, it's I was I was at a Bucks playoff game when Durant and PJ Tucker started getting into it. And Durant's security guys came onto the court. It was that was wild. And Bucks fans had a profane chant that I may or may not have joined in with. Whatever, that's a different <laughs> story. Uh, uh, but anyway, yes, Kyle Shanahan's completely right. After the game, he said basically how is it even possible that somebody could be on their sideline instigating one of my players and my player gets kicked out? I just thought it should have been non-called. It wasn't like you just punch him right in the face. It was like a little whatever. Like, let that go. I don't care. But if you're going one for one with the Eagles, uh, Big Dom's going back to the side to the locker room. Well, okay, whatever. Dre Greenlaw, one of the best linebackers of football, is going back to their locker room. I think the Eagles have this. I mean, the NFL should look at this and, and make some kind of statement, whether it's a fine, whether it's this guy can't be on your sideline the rest of the season. I don't Dude, know if, what it is, if, but you can't have you that. I, you can't have that. If yeah. you and I did this, we would never be allowed on a sideline again. Our our sideline pass would be revoked. Like, and I understand, you know, he's got a security job with the Eagles. I, I I don't care about any of that. Like, if the NFL lets him step back on a sideline, that is soft by the league. There is never a situation where somebody that doesn't wear a jersey should be interacting with somebody that does wear a jersey on the sideline of a football game. That way, that was that was asinine. And the fact that that he would ever be allowed on a sideline again would be an absolute travesty by the league. Yeah, I, I, it just can't happen. I mean, that that was and it's kind of funny and everybody's cheering Big Dom as he goes off. Uh, he's kind of a character and all that. But yeah, no, it is, it's it's inexcusable for the Eagles really to have that happen. And it again, it worked if, like you said, if teams just have guys agitators on the sideline and get other guys kicked out, everybody would have one. So, the NFL, yeah, they, they they probably didn't expect this to come. They'll probably make some kind of statement, whether it's an actual statement or a fine or something like that. Real quick before you move on, because I know you want to. I do want to say this about the Eagles. Eagles are a great shape still for that number one seed. Where I mean, the sky's going to be falling all week on Philly Sports Talk Radio and all that. But when you start looking at, even if they lose to the Cowboys next week, and boy, they, they have to worry that they're going to lose to the Cowboys next week the way they played. Even if they lose that game, they are not in bad shape to win the NFC East and to perhaps win the number one seed in the NFC. Tiebreakers look really good for them, except against San Francisco. Tiebreakers against the Cowboys look really good for them. It, it, common games. I've, I did, I'll, I'll, I'll write about this later in the week. Don't get me wrong, but just... Long, long story short, there's tiebreakers are still really good against Cowboys. Even if they lose Sunday, the sky isn't falling for the Eagles. They're still a really, really good football team. They just need to get a lot better to compete with San Francisco if they meet them again. Well, and to that point, I just pulled up the schedule while you were talking. Uh, the 49ers have Seattle coming up. That's always tricky. Then they have Arizona, Baltimore. That should be a tricky game. Washington and the Rams. So they got a couple tricky games. And they're a game back still, uh, you know, a game back of having the tie in that situation. So I think you're right. Like, it's not like it's clear cut here that you can just look at it and say, oh, well, San Francisco's, you know, the front runner to have home field advantage. It, it still could go through Philly. And you're, uh, the interesting part of this is going to be the Cowboys, because that's all eyes are going to be now on what happens in the division. Right. Like, I, I think that's that's but you're also mostly right. Frank, smartest thing you've ever said. 
Sky is going to be following all week on Philly oh Sports Talk. Like, I just want to listen remotely. <laughs> just a football team is going to be treated like they're one in, like they're the Panthers or something. Yeah, it's going to be wild. But again, Eagles fans, you're fine as in the context of the NFC East. Just don't lo- even if you lose to the Cowboys, don't just don't lose out. Like don't do something stupid like that. You're still in decent shape. This is still a very good football team. They'll learn from this loss. We'll see what they look like in January. But they're still in good shape as far as tiebreakers, NFC East, even the number one seed. All right, so we're gonna we go through every game, but before we get to the good games, I want to do something a little different here. We're just gonna get a little love to the tankers, all right? Because there were a handful of games today that just flat out sucked. They were bad, right? And, and they were barely watchable. So instead of just deep diving into a game that was awful, I want to figure out what it means moving forward. I'm gonna start one that, that sort of hit me uh, close to home because you know I'm sitting in Connecticut and I'm surrounded by so many Patriots fans. I don't know the last time I saw a more I don't know, gross, putrid, like find a fun adjective for the the Chargers beating the Patriots six to nothing, six to nothing, Frank. Like this game was absolutely, it, it was awful. Let's start with the game. The game was terrible. I, I don't have any redeeming thing to say about what I watched. Do you? No, no. 13 first downs for each team. And by the way, everybody who decided to yell at me that my Justin Herbert, maybe he's a little overrated take. Well, I mean, six points against a really, really, really bad Patriots team. No touchdowns at all. Uh, just awful. Just an awful, awful display of NFL football all around. Like there's just every time I looked up at this game, I was like, is any team ever going to move the ball? Or is this we just going to just keep? It seemed like the entire game was played between the 40s. It's just like, OK, whatever. No, an astoundingly bad NFL football game from an overrated team and a really, really bad football team. So hear me out. Because it wasn't that long ago that the concept that Caleb Williams was going to stay in school was real because the thought was Caleb Williams was so good at the time and that uh, the places he might go in the NFL draft were so bad. Why would he want to destroy his life? So coming into the season, his dad talking about wanting ownership, but also controlling where they go because we were concerned the Cardinals were going to tank and he doesn't want to go there. We've talked about how he should stay in school before he should go to the Bears. My question is, why are we talking about the Bears and, and uh, the Cardinals in a different way than we're talking about the Patriots? Leave Belichick out of this for a, a second and just look at this football team. The New England Patriots are awful. Their players know they're awful. Their coaches know they're awful. Their roster construction is awful. There is no easy fix to what is wrong with the Patriots right now. So even if your answer is, well, they have Belichick and it's going to be just fine. Again, Belichick got them to where they are right now. They missed in the draft because of Belichick. They've won two games with Belichick on the sideline. So I guess my question is, if I'm Caleb Williams or Drake May, why would I feel any better about going to the Patriots than I would about going to the Bears? It's it's honestly a heck of a point. Uh, and, you, you know, you talk about Belichick. Belichick might not be there next year. We don't know what Robert Kraft's going to do after the season. I mean, this has been such a disastrous season. The only counter argument to that is I think it's it's a little foolish for any 21-year-old kid to think this is how this NFL team is going to be for the next 10 years when I'm there. I mean, look at the Houston Texans 11 months ago, right? Like, we, we thought they were the worst franchise in the world, and all of a sudden, they're looking pretty good for a playoff spot. So it could change very, very quickly. Who an NFL team is today isn't even who they're going to be tomorrow. We know that. But you're, to your point of can Caleb Williams or Drake May go to New England right away and succeed? Answer probably is no. I mean, you're going to a team where the top receivers like Devontae Parker. I, I, I mean, your, your offensive line is not great anymore. Defense isn't even great anymore. Your coach, even if he comes back, it's uh, now he's kind of like year to year. And what they built was so special. It doesn't mean that that just keeps going forever. The Patriots, I don't know if they're that franchise. It just is the Steelers and is great for decades and decades and decades. That, that might just have been a, a great, 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 great 20-year run that is going to be really hard for them to replicate. So to your point, I don't disagree that whichever quarterback, if it's to the Patriots, it's it's not a good situation at all. It's not like, hey, oh, we got our quarterback. We're going 11 and 6. No, I, I don't think that's happening for a few years. I'm not trying to rehash the Brady versus Belichick debate yet again, but I will say this. We saw Brady go somewhere else and be very successful. We have not seen Belichick develop another great quarterback. So at some point, we have to at least have a fair conversation that maybe the quarterback development was as much about Brady as it was about Bill. And if that's the case, 
I just think that we're having a tone of a different conversation. I agree with you. There's never a time that I think it really makes sense for a kid to say, I'm not going to go drafted there. I don't want to play there. I just think that we're having a conversation today that treats the Patriots like they're still who they were a decade ago when the Patriots right now belong in the same conversation as the Bears, as the Cardinals, as the Panthers, as the worst of the NFL because they are proving every week on the field that that's who they are. They are part of the worst of the NFL. Yeah, and their roster, as we've talked about since basically week one, their roster is probably the worst in the NFL, or at least bottom three. I mean, there's just no blue chip talent here. And, <laughs> okay, you draft a quarterback, you know, second overall or whatever it's going to be, you still need defensive help. Now, you've used your first round pick at a quarterback, obviously. You still need receivers. You still need offensive line help. You still need a ton of things. This is a, it's a multi-year thing for the Patriots, I think. Now, again, going back to my Texans example, if – that quarterback is a comet near one and you do get a new coach who ends up being Tobiko Ryan's. Okay. You're, you're great. Whatever. But it's rare for that to happen. And realistically, it, it looks like a multi-year thing for the Patriots here. Now the Patriots, as of today, have the second pick in the draft because Arizona won a football game. The Cardinals part of our little tankathon love here. Uh, they beat the Steelers 24 to 10. Kenny Pickett injured in this game. That's going to have huge uh, complications or huge ramifications. I should say for the Steelers for the rest of the year. Also, it, gives them a reduction in the amount of analysis they can do on who Kenny Pickett is. So I think there's real consequence to that, but Arizona gets a win and, you know, 24 to 10, pretty convincing win. the game was delayed several times due to weather, but Arizona going to Pittsburgh and winning that game for a team that was supposed to just be mailing it in. They continue to be plucky. Yeah. Especially Kyler back. I, I mean, he makes plays. He, he wasn't huge in this game. Actually, James Conner was a guy who was really, really good. And this was just a horrendous loss for the Steelers. Let's get to them real quick, just because we have to talk about them. I mean, that Arizona defense last week against the Rams looked like a Pac-12 defense. It was like, oh, my goodness, the Cardinals are just going to get torched for 50 points every week. And the Steelers didn't even score a touchdown until the game was basically decided. It was 24-3 when they scored with about five minutes left. Uh, it, it wasn't all Matt Canada's fault, I guess. You know, I mean, uh, maybe we, I get why he was fired, but. For all the Steelers fans who just wanted to make it all about Matt Canada, well, he got issues other than that. And it's not just the Pickett got hurt because he wasn't doing anything before he got hurt. So horrible loss for the Steelers. I mean, they're still 7-5 in good shape, but man, you don't want to do that. And for Arizona, look, Arizona, of all the tanking, quote-unquote tanking teams, yes, it would have been ideal to be in the top two spot because you got the trading possibilities. You could you can debate Caleb versus Kyler, all this kind of stuff. But if the Arizona Cardinals do fall down to three, and your consolation prize is Marvin Harrison Jr., and you pair him with Kyler Murray for the next few years, that's okay. That's fine. Do you like, think that uh, makes them? Do you think that makes them better? Yeah, a lot better. I mean, I just Mar- I think Marvin Harrison is the maybe the best receiver prospect I've ever seen, or in in the top. You know, they were talking about a handful of guys at that point, Jamar Chase and all, all those kind of guys. And you know, I think Kyler. I, I I'm not a huge Kyler fan, especially after the contract. I think he's overpaid. I think he's just not that guy who you're going to win a championship with with him making a 230 million dollar contract, but. Put him with a Marvin Harrison. See what happens. I think they were going to have this, even if they finished in the top two, I think they were going to have to have a conversation. Charles Robinson has talked about this, where they really want this Kyler thing to work. So I think it's, again, it's to be to fall down to number three, to get the generational receiver prospect to pair Kyler. I don't think that that's really going to be the end of the world, that that's what ends up with happening. And I, truly, could you see the Patriots winning another game? I can't. So, And I think Belichick is shrewd enough to be that guy who's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll tank. Whatever. I don't care. Like, I, I'm not getting anything. out. He's smart enough to know that that's a smart thing to do. So I'm, I'm not saying they're just going to completely, you know, give up and, and start throwing games. But might there be a decision made here or two that isn't necessarily in the best interest of winning? I think of all guys, Belichick would do something like that. So, yeah, I think the Patriots are screaming towards a number two pick at this point. I think Arizona is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because I'm with you. I don't think Kyler Murray is really the answer. And if they had a shot at one of the top two quarterbacks, they could justify moving on and maybe trying to figure something else out. I don't know that they're going to be able to get back in that spot. But also, they've got to make an organizational decision. Do you really want to go out and start your new regime by only winning two games? Because that's that's also real. I don't think that's the best tone to set either. So I think they're sort of rock and a hard place. The comfort I give is not only Marvin Harrison, but there's a couple offensive linemen that are coming out this year they're going to be so good that I wonder if the Cardinals just look at it and say hey let's just get the best player on the board and just continue to build the roster which is 
you know, I think what Carolina was probably hoping they'd be able to say that, you know, they got so much good, good. But Carolina, they get an award this week. I don't know what that award would be called, but it's called the Officially Eliminated from Playoff Contention Award. So uh, that seems like a long <laughs> acronym. Uh, Tampa Bay beats Carolina 21-18 in a game that saw yet another ejection. Uh, Burns ejected in that game. So uh, we've seen a bunch of ejections today. But Carolina loses, and I just look around, and I'm like, man, I, I don't really care who the coach is. Carolina sucks, and I don't think there's an easy answer. They don't have a first-round pick this year to fix that either. So it just feels like they're going to have to mail in the rest of this year, and they're not going to have an easy easy fix in the offseason next year other than hoping that Bryce Young suddenly takes a leap forward or something. But, man, things look pretty bleak for Carolina no matter how, how bad they suck because they don't have a draft pick in the first round to help them. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And by the way, Winward, you could text me this if you want to, but I want to know the math on how a Carolina one in ten team was alive. Like, what what <laughs> would have had to have happened for the Carolina Panthers to actually make the playoffs after starting one in ten? But yes, like you said, officially eliminated. They've been eliminated in our hearts and minds for weeks, as we talked about on last <laughs> week's blitz. Like Frank Reich was. It, it was either going to happen at the end of the year or on Monday, and it happened on Monday. He got fired and. It didn't strike me as this team is going to really, really rebound now and play well the rest of the season. I didn't get the sense that they disliked Frank Reich as players, like the McDaniels Raiders thing. I just think the Panthers stink. Like they're just a bad football team. And then they came out and showed it today. I mean, like Tampa Bay was really, you know, blowing the doors off anybody, but they still went pretty comfortably. By the way, Mike Evans goes a thousand yards again, 10 straight years of a thousand yards. Like, First ballot Hall of Fame. I mean, he is just such – everybody thought he'd be washed this year. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I played a lot of fantasy leagues. You play fantasy. And I didn't draft Mike Evans anywhere because I bought into this whole, like, oh, Mike Evans is going to be washed and Baker can't get him the ball. And he's as good as ever. He is just an unbelievable football player. Hats off to Mike Evans first. But, yeah, with the Panthers, with every bad team, there's always that that carrot for their fans in April. Hey, all right, we stink, but we're going to get the first pick of the draft. We're going to get the second pick of the draft. You have Caleb Madel or Caleb Williams look forward to. I just combined the two, so a super quarterback. You have Caleb Williams. You have Drake Madel look forward to. The Carolina Panthers are like, oh my god, we we drafted probably the wrong quarterback. I know, I know, there's a long way to go, but mm, let's be real, we probably drafted the wrong quarterback. We are going to watch another team draft a generational quarterback next April. Uh, and, and we're going to have this one win season for basically nothing. Like, it's just, it has to be so horribly depressing to be a Panthers fan right now. And also knowing that your owner is not fixing this either. He's obviously a real, really big problem in that franchise. And just watching this game was just like, it's this, I've seen this Panthers game every week. Like, it seems like they're always kind of in the game. And it's like, oh, if they could just have one drive, they would, and they can't, they just can't <laughs> move the ball. And it's so depressing to watch a Panthers these days. Well, they're not the only depressing team. Let's get through all the action that we've got happening over the course of the day. And I would say that it's pretty depressing right now to be a Saints fan. Uh, Detroit wins this game 33-28. Interesting game because Detroit went out big. They went up big, I should say, early. Then New Orleans claws their way back. And then Detroit makes it a big lead. New Orleans claws their way back. But also key here, Derek Carr booed off the field multiple times by the crowd. He left the game due to injury. And I think that's an important context here. Uh, took a hit that uh, absolutely looked brutal uh, but also you know the, the the there seems to be the saints at this point are officially a disappointment and the lions get another win but i don't know about you i just looked at it i was like man this is sort of like encapsulating the lion season so far moments where it looked absolutely perfect and moments you're like man they're gonna blow this thing i know they really did look like they were gonna blow it i mean they were up 21 uh, 21 zip in the first i think seven minutes of the game it was the first time in like 20 some years that a team has scored three touchdowns in the first seven minutes of a game and you're like oh my goodness the saints might get beat by 50 in this game and dennis allen might get fired tomorrow like that's how that's how the game started lines look like we're angry from getting beat on thanksgiving we're gonna take it out on the saints and then you're right like it's like they just did nothing after that like it was it was a pretty bad game from the halfway point of the first quarter on for Detroit and this kind of continues this whole malaise with the Lions are just oh no they should have lost to the Bears they did lose to the Packers if they didn't have that great great start today they would have given that one away I, I don't know I I, I just hey look the Lions win a road game that's great you're fine but I'd like to see a little more from them and with the Saints I do think it's probably getting to the point Dennis Allen's not keeping that job. Like, they just had too much talent for this. Like, there's this needs to be better. Like, for Taysom Hill to be your entire offense is just, I don't get what they're doing there. Uh, for them to not get more out of the talent they have on hand is really, really weird. They should be winning this terrible division going away, but the Falcons, I guess, are probably going to steal it. 
there's a lot of disappointing teams in the NFL. And I, I think I wrote the Bills were the most disappointing team. It made for a good headline. But if I'm being real with you, Fitz, the Saints might be my most disappointing team because every week I'm like, why is this team looks at least the Bills are just losing close games, whatever. The Saints are just bad. The Saints are a bad football team with a lot of talent, and I don't get it. You mentioned Atlanta, man, and let's just say ugly games. Atlanta beat the Jets 13 to 8. Oh, did you watch any of this? Barely. Red Zone, like if Red Zone went to this game. God bless you, Scott Hansen, because you didn't deserve this either. I was, no, as you, but the, the funny thing is Red Zone couldn't go to this game because neither team was ever in the damn Red Zone. Like, never, so like this ever. was one of those over here on the other TV and you're like, oh, yeah, that game is still going oh, on. I mean, so it's just bad. The, the Falcons right now are in first place. They would win the South. And, and that's just feels disgusting because they're not good. I don't care what you tell me. The Falcons are not a fo- good football team. They they are definitely not a good football team. I, I swear that every time I looked at this game, as you know, I go to I do go to Buffalo Wild Wings every Sunday. If you want to sponsor me, Buffalo Wild Wings, I, I send you my, my info and stuff. But because so I, I just like watching. all I don't like Red Zone. I like watching all the games. Every time I looked at that screen, there was a ball bouncing 10 yards away from a receiver. I swear to God, that's every single time I looked at that. Tim Boyle or then Trevor Simeon or Desmond Ritter just missed his guy by like a mile and a half. It was just the most depressing game in the rain. If you're a Jets fan that went to this game, you you are a hardcore fan. And I don't know if I respect it or just feel bad for you because you shouldn't be subjecting yourself. I feel bad for Jets fans because the same thing happened last year where it's like this defense can get us into the playoffs. We just, and, and then you just fall apart. The defense can't hold up after so many weeks of that. They go to Trevor Simeon today. I think it was the post that wrote the headline, basically like, why bother? Like, it's true. Like, who cares who's playing quarterback at this point? It's not going to fix anything. They're just, they're a really, really, really hard team to watch now. And so are Falcons, and we're going to have to watch them. They're going to be at first game on Saturday wildcard weekend, right? Like, that. that's what's that's what we're in for. The Green Bay Packers beating the heck out of the Atlanta Falcons. And we, no, it's actually probably going to be Dallas, right? It's going to be like Dallas at Atlanta to start wildcard weekend. And it's going to be like Dallas minus nine and a half or something like that. Like, it's just going to be an absolute debacle. This Falcons team is not good. I'm going to need us not to do a show that night because the only way I'm getting through that game is with a bunch of edibles <laughs> and alcohol. Okay. Uh, so that's the worst of it. <laughs> let's just be honest. It's the worst of it. But maybe let's go to the best of it because – I'm continually just tip of the cap to the Texans. I think I'm becoming a massive Texans fans. We talk about this so much, but I'm also a little blown away by the AFC South overall. And we know obviously the Jags, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, are on Monday night football for the first time in 87,000 years. That's basically fact. Uh, But also when you look at this division, Houston gets a 22-17 win over Denver, where Denver tried, man. Denver, there were several times I thought the Broncos were back in this football game and it, it felt like Russ' mistakes just were more than Denver could try and walk out of this. Keynote, Tank Dell out for the season, fractured fibula. That will change the way Houston looks moving forward. But that 22 to 17 win, I don't know about you, but I sat there the whole time thinking, damn, like the fact that the Texans are winning these sorts of games is one of the things I never would have predicted coming into the season. No question at all. And I mean, I was basically going to recite what I wrote for winners and losers today, which was that, you know, like I said, the Texans were the worst t- franchise in the NFL in January. I mean, you go back uh, to a year, less, less than a year ago, they were legitimately the bottom of the NFL. They were a laughing stock in every single way. And you know what happened to them, Fitz? They made a second round pick in 2006, a linebacker out of Alabama called D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans had no business. Ta- like, the Texans had no business hiring D'Amico Ryans. They had the worst job opening there was, right? Like, D'Amico Ryans was a great head coaching candidate. And if all things were equal, he would have said, Texas, why would I go there? I don't have a quarterback. They don't even have the first pick of the draft. No, why would I do that? But he's a legend there. He had good feelings about Houston. He said, I want to go back and, and kind of save this franchise. And boy, has he ever. D'Amico Ryans, hats off. You are doing a heck of a job. Like, like you talked about with this game in particular, it wasn't always pretty for the Texans. This was a slog for them. They had to hold on at the end. I, I mean, but they made the plays. Will Anderson played an unbelievable game. Look, I still don't agree with the, the trade-up to get him at number three this year. But if he's going to play like that, okay, I get it. Like, he he was unbelievable in this game. He had multiple sacks. He tipped a ball that became, became a big interception. So this all of a sudden, this Texans team, you look, CJ Stroud, obviously, he's great. Like He's just phenomenal. Will Anderson's playing well. Derek Stigley Jr. had a really, really good game today. He looks like he's coming on. Nico Collins is coming on. You know what a lot of this is? It's coaching. Like, 
a lot of guys, a lot of teams have good young players and they're not getting the most out of them. The Texans are hats off to this coaching staff, especially D'Amico Ryan's coming around to him being NFL coach of the year. He's doing a remarkable job. This Texas team might go to the playoffs. I, I don't know how this AFC wildcard is going to shake out. It's going to be very interesting, but the Texans have completely turned around their franchise in 11 months. But you mentioned the the wild card. It's a huge part of why this matchup meant so much. Houston now has the tiebreaker over Denver because of the head-to-head, and they're right in the thick of it trying to make the playoffs. So this 22-17 win is everything. And I mentioned Russ's mistakes, three interceptions in this game, and they were they were costly. I mean, I, interceptions always costly. But time and place of these were particularly drastic. So this was frustrating because, you know, Russ seems to have turned the corner playing like a different quarterback in this game because of the way the game played out. They needed to let Russ cook more. When you need when when you know what Russ is trying to do, he can't always do it as well. Like it just it, it felt like the Texans had the right game plan for Russ and a huge, huge win for them in that process. Now. Part of the reason I, I want to give the AFC South praise here is because not only that game, but also watching the Colts take on the Titans, they get a win. It, it, look, it wasn't pretty for the Colts, but when you look at where we are in the playoff standings right now, you got to be honest. I mean, you've got two teams. You got the Jags at eight and three, and you have both the the tight or the the Texans and the Colts sitting at seven and five. I mean, that's. That's remarkable. We thought the AFC South was going to be one of the worst divisions in football. And now the the Colts sitting at seven and five, by the way, if the playoffs started today, they'd be in riding a winning streak with Gardner Minshew in because they lost their starting quarterback. Like the South looks like maybe it's the best division in the AFC. Unbelievable, right? And if I would have told you like, hey, I got a spoiler alert for you, Fitz. It's August 31st or whatever. The Titans are going to be one of the worst teams of football. You'd have been like, oh, my goodness, the AFC South is a train wreck. <laughs> no, the, the, we, we all thought the Jaguars were going to be pretty good, and they have been. But it's those teams in the middle that have really surprised. And the Colts today, I mean, especially if I would have told you, hey, yeah, the, the, Texas, the Titans are going to be awful, and the Colts are going to lose Anthony Richardson after like five games. You said, oh, that's bad, too. But Gardner Minshew, man, we, we talked a little bit about him last week, came up big when they had to. Huge pass Alec Pearson overtime. Big touchdown pass to Michael Pittman to get the win. Uh, the Titans special teams fell apart. Two straight block punts. You don't see that very often. One of them seemed like it took a minute and a half for their punter. The second one. It seemed like their punter took a minute and a half to get rid of the ball. Like, you got to kick it. He got hurt, which screwed him up because Tannehill had to come out as a holder. They missed an extra point, which is a big reason they went to overtime. Just kind of a, a terrible game for the Titans. But we know they're bad. The Colts, though, I don't think they're good, but they are very scrappy. They're very well coached. And they have the type of schedule that sets them up to be in this wild card race until the end. And look, I, you go on the road, you win a game, you improve the seven and five. Who cares how you did it? There's no style points at this time of year. Hats off to the Colts. They just keep winning games. Think about this. The Colts won a game where Gardner had to throw the ball 42 times, where they averaged 2.4 yards per rush, where Zach Moss never really got the longest rush for Zach Moss today was five yards. They couldn't really? run the yeah, football. Oh, I knew they bought them up. I didn't know like that, though. Wow. I mean, and, and then in the same th- same breath, they gave up 102 yards to uh, Derrick Henry. They gave up 177 yards rushing. Like everything that if we had told you last night, well, here's the way this game's going to pl- play out. You think, oh, I'll, I'll bet my money on the Titans. The Colts still won. It's one of those years, man. This is a, a plucky team, and this is a, a, a division that, I just, in a world where the AFC East is far worse than we thought, the AFC West is a one-team division, and that's clear because the Broncos are best okay, the Chargers suck, and the Raiders are abysmal, right? Like, you you look at across the, the divisions, man, and I would have said the North has a shot at this, but I I, I think the Steelers are frauds and Kenny Pickett's hurt. I think they, the Browns are going to be a disaster every single week, and they have no idea what their quarterback situation looks like. So there's one team. Like, so the only division vision that gives me more than one team that I look at and I say, yeah, I trust that. CAFC South. What, I can't believe I'm we, saying what that. What are we doing this season? What are, what on earth is this season? We're into December and we could say without laughing, the AFC South might have three playoff teams. Seriously. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but certainly on the table for all the reasons you talk about the Steelers with the Browns, Bills seem to lose every week. Uh, obviously the Jets are donezo. The AFC West is donezo. Uh, what do we this season is been drunk since September and it is not stopped drinking at all. Like we we need an intervention or something because I I don't know what to make of this season anymore. And the AFC South kind of encapsulates all that. I, I think they're getting three in. I, I don't trust Pittsburgh or Cleveland the rest of the way. I trust Houston more. And right now Houston's out. 
India's in. Yeah, I think they're getting three in. AFC yeah. South. Who knew? Yeah, Who knew I, that we'd be in this world? I really do think it probably depends on one of those AFC North teams if they could do anything. But like you said, I don't trust either team's offense or the Browns or the Steelers. I I still, even though I know the stats say no, the Bills, I still hold on hope that, that they're going to make it just because I think they deserve to make it. I, I mean, deser- well, deserves the wrong word, but yeah, I think our talented enough team that, that I'd like to see them in the playoffs just to see what would happen over Pittsburgh Steelers with Trubisky or Pickett, a quarterback. Like, I don't need to see that. So, but yeah, you're right. Like, why why not one of those AFC, both of those AFC South teams? Again, the Colts schedule is what it is. They got wins coming up and the Texans are a good, well-coached team. Uh, with a unbelievable rookie quarterback. I mean, it is, it's a, I'll say this, like you said, it's a fun division to watch. Even if they don't get three teams in, I enjoy every game that doesn't include the Tennessee Titans. I, uh, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> I, I didn't really enjoy watching the Browns Rams, uh, that, but Joe Flacco, give him credit. I mean, Flacco came I out thought. like, I thought it was going to be a disaster. Uh, look, the Rams run away with this game, 36-19 is your final score. I think it's pretty important, though, to to note that it wasn't like that. Like, this was a 20-19 to 19 game, you know, relatively late in this thing. It's it, it sort of all, again, this is what happens. We see this a lot in college football, too. But when a team is sort of a house of cards and competitiveness, eventually throughout the course of a game, it just wears itself down. That's what I felt like was happening for Cleveland offensively, especially they lose Amari Cooper early in this game. Once there was no Cooper, it's just felt like who were they going to throw? They couldn't get out of their own way. There was a beautiful play uh, to Njoku that looked like it was going to be a long pass only to have it challenged. And then you see in the replay that his heel stepped out of bounds before he actually caught the ball. So it turned into a penalty. It was little things. Like, it's funny that the, the Browns did things I didn't think they would do well. They did those well. They just couldn't get out of their own way with the little things. And the Rams get a big win here. So, you know, kudos for, for the Rams getting the win. But this, to me, was more of proof of concept of why Cleveland kind of screwed at this point yeah and again i mean the way flacco played does give them hope going forward that maybe that offense can do something i don't think flacco is going to be good the rest of the year but hey who knows i don't know anything this nfl season i will say this uh, you know i basically said debico riots for coach here what about sean mcveigh i mean i thought this rams team was going to be bad and that i'll still say that roster is not very good but here they are six and six now the packers win for them was bad like the Packers win for the Rams was bad because the Packers, we've all seen their remaining schedule. Like we talked about, they're, they're going to make the playoffs unless they totally screwed up. The Rams might get left out, but we're looking at a team. They're six and six. And I honestly thought it wasn't out of the question that they could be three and 14 this year. Like, like the Titans. I, I felt this, similar to the Rams. The way I felt about the Titans is this could totally collapse and they could be miserable. It has happened to the Titans, has not happened to the Rams. And a lot of that, Sean McVay. I mean, he he's figured out ways to use Nakua and Cup. He's he's figured out how to get the most out of Kyron Williams. I, this defense is playing well over its head. That's about the Sean McVay, man. I, I think I mean, this is a guy who's won a Super Bowl, has been to another Super Bowl, and this might be one of his best coaching jobs. He's doing a heck of a job this year. If we had a confessional booth, I'd have to walk into it right now because when I think about the playoff fringe playoff teams. You tell me Minnesota, I kind of think, okay, I understand why they're there. You tell me Green Bay, I understand why they're there. You tell me Seattle, I understand why they're there. Those are all six and six teams in the NFC, just like the Rams. And the Rams have won three straight. And I don't think of the Rams that way. So you're a no, thousand percent right. right. Like right. I, in, in my mind's eye, the Rams are a four win team that's, uh, you know, out there putting a hell of an effort out on tape. You know, I don't think of them <laughs> in the same, the same way. way. You, kids. Yeah, it's like, you guys, you guys really have put since the bye week. Remember they lost three straight leading into the bye. They lost to Pittsburgh, Dallas and Green Bay leading into the bye. Since the bye, they are three and oh, now they get Baltimore this week, but then, after that, they got Washington, New Orleans, the Giants. Those are three winnable football games. Wow. And they sure end with are. San Francisco. So they have two tough San Francisco games. Might be, we don't know. I don't think they're going to be resting everybody. Possible, though. I mean, that happens in week 18. But my God, I mean, to, to that point, <laughs> like you can sort of find a path from six and six. You can find a path to nine and eight, nine and eight. Maybe in the even, NFC maybe ten good. and seven if they get really lucky. Like, oh. again, if the 49ers are sitting people, uh, why not? Like uh, it's it's just back to we're having this conversation is says a lot about Sean McVay. One conversation we've had several times, but I I just want to come in, my friend, and and lift you up. I'm putting you up on on my shoulders, and I'm carrying you at a, like your first concert, and I'm raising you up a bunch uh, uh, ahead of the whole crowd because you've been talking about Tyreek for MVP for a minute, and uh, I would just like to point out that. 
Tyreek yet again was absolutely uncoverable. Uh, my, you know, everybody's got their group thread with their guys, right? My buddies texted today and said, if Tyreek doesn't win the MVP, it's proof that nobody that's not a quarterback will ever win it again. I wonder if that's a fair statement. It probably is. I gave up on it in 2014 when J.J. Watt didn't win, when he was not only the best player of football, one of the best seasons I've ever seen out of any football player. And the voters were just like, ah, what quarterback? Aaron Rodgers, fine. Here you go. I I thought that was a travesty, and I still will. But that's year, to me, it became a quarterback award. So when I've talked about I bounced around on on MVP, right? And I want to get it straight here. The person who I think will win the MVP is the NFC East division champion quarterback. So that means if the Eagles win the NFC East, going to be Jalen Hurts. If the Cowboys win, it's going to be Dak Prescott. I'm kind of buying into maybe Purdy can get in there if they get the number one seed. But it's kind of the, who's the quarterback on the best team? If I had to pick a quarterback, I'd pick CJ Stroud. I still would. I, I haven't caught off of that. I, I think he has made a bigger difference for that team than any other quarterback I've talked about. I, those other guys are having great seasons. Look at Stroud's season. Look what he's done. And I, like we talked about, they could go to the playoffs. I still think if it's just a quarterback award, I'm going to CJ Stroud. Who would I vote for if I had to vote again? It's Tyreek Hill. I, I don't see a better player in the NFL. I don't see a guy who has impacted more games than Tyreek Hill. Even when he doesn't catch the ball, there's a reason this Dolphins team is averaging like six yards a carry. It's because you cannot load. You can't even think about loading the box against Miami Dolphins. That never crosses your mind. You know why? Because every defensive coordinator is like, okay, when they come out of the huddle, you find number 10. You figure him out. And we're we're going to try to double him. It's not going to work, but we're going to try. And he still beats them for big plays guys in the nfl don't just hit big plays and make the opponent look stupid every week tyree kill does 260 yard receptions for him first time that's happened in a for a dolphins receiver since paul warfield i think it was back in 1971 the hall of famer and he did it in the first half like he had a he had a buck 52 at the half i believe he's just an unbelievable player he's going over 2,000 yards he needs 518 more with five five games to go i, I believe he's averaging 125 a game which as a receiver is just bananas for the people out there who want to hate on Tua, by the way, and be like, oh, Tua's not that good. It's just a system. It's just the Tyreek should be your MVP, right? Like if Tua stinks, then this receiver is the guy who's carrying one of the best offenses, the best offense in football. I- I'm totally on board with Tyreek being the MVP. I hope he gets votes. I know he has no chance of winning because it's a quarterback award. I think today was what makes it difficult to judge where the Dolphins are. They won 45 to 15. And this is yet again, when the Dolphins are on, they're unstoppable. And what happens is we see these moments where they put up 45 against Washington, where they put up 70 against the the Broncos, and it gets seared into our mind, right? Because we see what this offense can be, particularly. Then the problem is, how do you judge that when they're taking on a defense that is going to play them better? You know, I I think Washington came out a little flat in this game, had to get bad game plan, and was also a bad matchup, right? There's just no two ways about all of that. So I don't know how to transfer 45 to 15 as a win into, okay, what would that mean if you were taking on the Ravens. What would that mean if you were taking on the 49ers? The problem is when it looks good for the for the Dolphins, it looks effortless. It looks easy. It just looks so natural that you think, oh my God, that's who they are. They are the modern run and shoot. You will never be able to stop them. We've seen too many teams stop them. So I'm not going to go overboard on this one. I'm not going to go head over heels. I'm just going to say what we saw today is what we've seen repeatedly. When the Dolphins can run the football the way they did and get Tyreek open the way they did, they are unstoppable and they score a bunch of points it's fun to watch it's art i'm going to appreciate it like a fast and furious movie i'm not going to ask it to win an oscar i'm just going to ask for things to get weird things to blow up and for it to be exciting that's what the dolphins gave me i'll figure out in the playoffs whether that actually makes it a good movie but for right now i was at least entertained that's my that was beautiful yeah, I man i enjoyed that that that's a perfect no it's a perfect comparison be honest with really you. i don't is. know I, I don't know where the hell that came from that just was <laughs> Kudos, just, kudos, because right, uh, it's completely correct. We got to, tomorrow night, we have the Jags playing on Monday Night Football uh, against the Bengals. Obviously, these matchups feel different right now. It feels to me like there is a ton of pressure mounting on the Jags on the one hand. But also, Frank, I don't know about you, but I feel like as an organization, they just because they are just not relevant the same way other fan bases are, other organizations, they don't get the same clicks. They don't get the same attention. It just feels like they're insulated from all of that. So I don't know if they even feel the pressure that I feel when I look at the standings. <laughs> I, I'm just going to ignore the Jaguars because if we all do, right? Like they're going to win this game. Jake Browning, the Bengals are drawing dead. If the Jaguars somehow lose this game, we're going to be like, oh my God, they're frauds. And we're going to forget about them tomorrow. What I want to ask you is, 
what do you, it is probably more of a Wednesday, Thursday conversation, but what do you think of flexing Monday night games? Because that has been, I just wrote a short thing on that when they, they flexed a game coming up and people were like, how could you do this to the fans who are traveling? And my counter argument is, what about the 20 million fans watching on TV? I don't, look, when the NFL scheduled this game up until 10 days ago or whenever Joe Burrow blew out his wrist, this was a great matchup. Awesome. Like, wow, if Burrow was still there, we'd be talking about, oh, we, we would have been talking about this five minutes ago, so we can go 10 minutes on this. Bengals, Jaguars, all the playoff implications, two great quarterbacks. And now it's like, whatever, the Jaguars are 10-point favorites and are going to win. I'm in favor of flexing Monday night. How do you feel? Uh, I mean, is this screwing the fans too much? Flexing Monday night football is a little like what the college football playoff committee just did. Makes everybody uncomfortable, but it's core. I think it was the right decision, right? And And I say that as somebody that... You know, a week from today, uh, the very early wee hours of the morning, I will be hopping on a flight to get to Vegas. I'm going to go to the Raiders Vikings game. I'll do our show after that. Uh, it's going to be a blast, right? Uh, I have obviously spent money on plane tickets and hotel and all of the things that you spend money on when you're going to a game. If they suddenly flexed that to Monday night or if that had been a Monday night game that was flexed to Sunday, when you think about the financial ramifications, that's huge. But to your point, how many fans are flying in for a game? Even Correct. if you you're, want you're to take it, what five thousand? Like I, the five thousand is a lot. I think that that's a that's a pretty high estimate. Few hundred, like yeah, I, it might like, be a few hundred. Like especially for I a Jags game, like I, I don't think you know. I, I think even if you're telling me there's a few thousand, to your point, millions and millions of people watch these things, and like at the end of the day, I can't protect a few hundred or a few thousand people uh, if it makes for a lesser product for millions and millions. I'm tired of watching awful, awful primetime football. I'm just tired of it. That's where I'm at, and I get it, I, and I know that's. Probably a slap in the face to those however many people do fly into Jacksonville. Some Cincinnati fans are, I'm sure they're like, pick a game. I have a friend out here in Denver every year, goes to a road game, picks a game, goes to the Broncos schedule, goes to a game, loves that experience. I get that. That's awesome. Some of those fans are going to get screwed when you flex, but I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I just think that. It's not just, oh, they're chasing the TV money. It is, no, no, this is catering to a wide portion of our audience that that does not want to watch Jake Browning on Monday Night Football. They want to come home for work Monday night, watch a great game. We should have had, like, Broncos-Texans tonight. Like, I mean, but and it is going to screw some fans, but I'm, I'm actually all in favor of it. I think we're going to get to a point very quickly to wrap up that the entire schedule is going to be flexible. Like, we're going to be like, other than, like, the first few weeks, we're going to get to a point where there's no Monday night game scheduled, and they're going to get to three weeks before and be like, here's our Thursday night, here's our Sunday night, here's our Monday night, because it's too hard in April to schedule what's going to be relevant in December, and I think the NFL is going to just look at this as a TV thing, and we got to put the best matchups on. I mean, my God, we just spent how much of this show talking about the fact that a few months ago we thought the AFC South was going to suck and the AFC right. East was going right. to be a godsend, right? Like, so to that point, the very thing that makes the NFL such an incredible product to all of us is that it's wildly unpredictable. That's also the thing that makes making TV schedules like this uh, impossible, you know, and it's tougher. Flexing to Sunday night is easier because it's the same day at least, at least. But man, if it can make Monday night football, like, again, I'll be old man on the block for a second. Like, I didn't when I was a little kid, and I know you know this too. Like, there wasn't even Sunday night football when I was a kid, right? <laughs> Monday yeah, night football was everything, and being on Monday night football meant something. Now, it, it it's just another primetime window. So, if they can find a way to make Monday night football feel special again, I think in the grand scheme of things, in five years, it'll be the thing that fan bases scream about with pride. They'll be like, oh, we got flexed three times this year because nobody thought we were going to be this good, and now we make are. It, make it fun to your Giants fan friend who like, oh, you guys got flexed again. Like, get out of there. Like, yeah, it's it's a thing. And it, again, do cater to the few hundred who are traveling or the 20 million at home watching? And I probably think the answer at the end of the day is the larger TV audience. Yeah, 100%. All right, we're always, we're never getting flexed. We're always going to be with you after the games. That never changes. Charles McDonald also never flexed. On Tuesday, he's back with you with the exempt list. I'm back on Wednesday with Charles Robinson, Jory Epstein for inside coverage. We got a ton of great stuff happening for you. Make sure you're checking all the shows out. Plus, make sure you're reading all of the great things Frank's writing out on the Yahoo site, uh, also in the Yahoo app. We got a lot out there. So get the app, go check out the site. You can leave us a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash zero blitz. Follow us on Twitter, X, whatever we're 
supposed to call it. Uh, call it. Frank is at Yahoo Schwab. I'm at Jason Fitz Stone doing God's work, staying up late, making sure all this gets produced well. Does everything beautifully. Follow him at SJ Rochelle. He's our producer behind the glass. And leave us a five-star review. Rate, subscribe, tell your friends, your family, and enemies. Tell everybody to hang out with us every single week. Don't forget. I mean, we'll be back next week. Frank, I mean, I'll be in Vegas, but I'll be sober. The, the good thing is that because we have to do the show, I have to stay sober. The bad thing is that means I have to watch the Raiders play the Vikings sober. I don't know how that's going to go for me. We'll figure it out. But, you know, thoughts and prayers for me, my friend. That's all uh, I all I can ask for. I was just wondering when my invitation was to Vegas. I don't know. Whatever. Like, I, maybe I'll check my email. Maybe you invited me to come to on. Come to- Come on. Let, <laughs> do, live, a, do live from Allegiant. That's what we got to do. Live, live oh my God. show from Allegiant. Hey, I know people. We'll get that worked out. We'll just call it uh, We'll just call it Sunday Night Blitz where gets weird. All right. Yeah, it'll be Sunday Night Blitzed is what it would oh. be. Yeah. There oh, my go. God. There you go. That's I, next million season. Million dollar idea. Trademark. I'm going to go trademark that as soon as we wrap up. You know what? Stone, take this to the bosses. Next season, Sunday Night Blitzed. We do it in a bar on site at at a different location every week. We go to a bar. We get tanked with fans. Uh, In the meantime, hopefully you've been getting tanked while you listen to us, no matter what. We appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hang out with us again next week. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.